And so I went inside and I got a microphone cord, tied it around my neck, tied it to the Civil War post, and just walked over to the, you know, the, the edge of the cliff and just stepped off. Like, didn't even think about it. I just did it. And, um, and as soon as the, the cord pulled and tightened, it was like my first thought was like, oh man, what'd you do? Like wow. this was this this wasn't the right move. Growing up, I had a good family. You know what I mean? Uh, I had both my parents were in the picture. I had a sister. You know, I had a, I had a you know good upbringing. I played a lot of sports and stuff. And so you know, when I was a kid, I was baptized Russian Orthodox. And so as far as like my spiritual background, we would go to church, but it wasn't talked about in the house. It wasn't like. We read our Bibles or I was indoctrinated. It was just like, that's what you do. You know, mm -hmm. you go to church and, you know, thank God for your blessings and, and keep it moving. And so once I was old enough to stay home by myself, it was like that was that was the end of that. It wasn't something that I continued to do. And so I say probably around, you know, 11 or something is probably when I stopped going to church. And so I was growing up, like, was just real into sports. That was all I did, football, basketball, soccer. When I got about, like, 12, I think I was just always real, like, curious as a kid. You know, like, I was always real wanting to do things like other people weren't doing or something, you know. And so it was like I was just real extreme and pushing my boundaries and stuff like that. And uh, so I remember I heard about, like, weed. It was something I wanted to try. Like, I had no idea, you know what I mean, seeing it in movies or whatever. So being, you know, that was something that I wanted to do. And it was like none of my other friends were doing it. And so I, had, you know, knew these older kids that were doing it. So I went off and did it. And at that point, I was playing, I was playing soccer. I was, in, I was on a team that was ranked nationally. Like, you wow. know what I mean? Like, I thought in my mind, like, this is what I'm going to do. Like, I thought I could go pro, like, at least MLS level, like, so that's what I'm thinking I'm doing, but at the same time, I'm getting sucked into to this. So by the time mm -hmm. I get to high school, that was all I did every day. I started experimenting with other drugs and, you know, uh, just getting deeper and deeper down the hole. Well, my family have found out about it. My mom kind of, because of her background, she got like freaked out and started, you know, thinking like this is what could happen. So even though it wasn't in a, I was, I was not in a, terrible place of addiction at that point I think she handled it like I was going to mm -hmm. and so she started putting me in like programs and outpatient and so what happened is like you have this 14 year old kid with around like these like 18 year old heroin addicts and stuff you know what I mean mm -hmm. so it just fed that curiosity in me where I'm like that sounds crazy like I want to try that now you know mm -hmm. and so when I was 15 I ended up getting sent to a, a rehab in Utah it was a it was a two-part program. The first two months was in the um, Moab Desert. It was a wilderness program, so you basically hike like five miles each day. You let you make your own tent, you know what I mean, like, and you hike to your food spots. So I went to that, and then you transition to a like inpatient rehab. And so I went there, and when I went there, I think you know what happened when I was in the wilderness. Something hit my spirit. It was weird because it was real freeing in one sense, because I was out in this beautiful place, man, these mountains, we would hike these mountains. I mean, it was really, it was honestly one of the best experiences of my life. And once I accepted it, I took on this, you know, this idea of like, you're on your own now. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like your, your parents don't want you really anymore. Like they love you, but like you're out here on your own. When I got there, I got into uh, Buddhism. And when I got into it, I got really sucked into it because I was I was prescribed this medicine. It was like an Adderall type of medicine. And so I would spend all my time meditating. That's when I began to do poetry. I started writing. 
And, um, you know, so I, I spent all this time in Buddhism and it really opened me up to the spiritual realm. I started having these enlightening encounters or so I thought. It was the first time I had become aware, I think, of my, my soul in, in a sense. And so I got real sucked into it and I, and I noticed some type of progression. And, but mixed with the medication, it started messing with my mind. And so when I came home, I wasn't the same person. It was like I had severe psychosis. All my friends were like, dude, what happened to you? You know what I mean? Like I just, cause I was very, I used to be real outgoing and real, you know what I mean? So when I came back, I was shut down. Back at the rehab, I started having sleep paralysis and I would have, there was one where like a, a devil appeared to me in the dream and basically told me you can't, you can't escape from me that easy. Mm. And um, so I started having all these sleep paralysis things. I started thinking that like demons were my friends it just, it, and so at the same time, I, I'm getting into drugs more. You know what I mean? I end up getting in, on probation when I was 16. So I come home at 16. A couple months later, I get my first like legal trouble. So basically, to you know, save some time, that what began was a very long, just downhill spiral. And so when I was 16, I started, you know, doing pills and got got addicted to heroin the depression was there very badly like i was cutting myself ready like i was i was you know real like hopeless romantic you know get real emotional about girlfriends and stuff and like um so but i was i was just real suicidal and depressed already so now i'm just you know full-blown becoming a full-blown drug addict and and going down that so i have this you know bipolar going on just depression all this stuff and it's just taken me down a, a dark path. And um, so around when I was 18, I found out, I went to, to jail for a couple of days. And when I came home, I found out this girl was pregnant. So I'm in like, not a good situation. You know what I mean? My life's not going too well. And then I find out I'm having a baby. So I'm like, all right, so we're gonna make this work. You know what I mean? The The girl initially didn't want to keep it, but I was like, on some, you know, no, nah, we're gonna make this work. Like, I want this. So I was like, no, we're keeping it. It's gonna work. And so, you know, we have the baby. The girl moves in with me and my dad. At, um, at this time, my parents were divorced. So my dad didn't know how to deal with it. So my dad would just leave. Like, he he was, you know, dating girls and would just like leave and it'd just be me at the house. And, and you know, so this, this girl and I were not working out. She was there for about a year or so, and we're raising the baby. I'm staying at home with the baby. She's working. So I'm, I'm you know, raising this baby. She's coming at evening. She's working evenings. We end up, like, we're going through a breakup or whatever, and and, and so it's just, it's, just real, it's just a real dark place. I'm suicidal. I'm going through all these, like, spiritual encounters, though. Like, I'm still, because what happens is when I got into the Buddhism, it opened me up to that world. And so I'm real into psychedelics. I'm smoking DMT. I'm, I'm doing Reiki. I'm doing all like the energy new age type stuff. Like I'm really into this stuff, but I'm, I'm like wondering like, why can't I get happy? You know what I mean? Like I'm having these encounters with these like light beings and, and you know what I mean? For like three days on these like enlightened paths, you know? And then next thing I know, I want to kill myself. Like what's going on here? Mm. And so Somewhere in this in this time period, about a year after I had my baby, it was around 2012, I had a friend, one of my best friends that I grew up with since from seven, and, and um, I was drinking one night, and I asked him if he would come meet me. 
and I was, you know, depressed about this breakup we're going through. And so he's like, yeah, I'll meet you. And so I drive, like I drive all across town to meet him where he was at and he doesn't show up. And I remember sitting in the car being like, this isn't like him because I'm like, this is, this is like my, my brother, you know what I mean? He wouldn't just stand me up like that. So, you know, I, I pass out outside somewhere and find out the next day he got in a car accident. Now, it's not like 100% fact that it was on the way to see him, but I believe it was on the way because from what I heard, he was at a party. They told him he was going to the gas station. I'm meeting him at the Safeway. But uh, he ended up getting in a car accident, and he ends up dying like two days later. Wow. And um, I remember I just got hit with, like, survivor's guilt, you know what I mean? Because, one, I didn't go see him in the hospital because they said he was going to be all right. But it was all these things just piling up, and at that point, it was like— I was just over life, man. Like it was like my my one friend I thought I had was gone. My everything was just terrible. And um, so one night I was sitting there and I was just outside. And where I lived was like a, a house, and it was a it was on it was on the um, Manassas battlefield in Civil War land or whatever. And so we had the um, it was like a fence of the Civil War post, and then it was this big drop off cliff, and then it was a, a river, like a stream, and then it was a river, and um. So one night I was just like, yeah, I'm, I think I'm done. You know, like there was no emotion. Like I, 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 it, there was no like, it was just, I'm done. And so I went inside and I got a microphone cord tied around my neck, tied it to the Civil War post and just walked over to the, you know, the, the edge of the cliff and just stepped off. Like didn't even think about it. I just did it. And, um, and as soon as the, the cord pulled and tightened, it was like my first thought was like, oh man, what'd you do? Like wow. this was this this wasn't the right move. And then next thing I know, I'm just it, it felt like I was in some type of dream. And in the dream I'm freezing cold and but I can't move either. So I'm in this like dream state where I I'm not conscious of what I did. I'm it's like I'm somewhere else. And I'm fighting and I can't move. I'm cold. I feel like I'm in water. I don't know what's going on. And then I like my attention moves, and it's like this little light is coming towards me. And the, so this light is moving towards me. Next thing I know, as it gets closer, I just find myself free. Like I just found myself like popping up from the water, and it all hit me what happened. And I, I had fallen all the way into the water. And I climb up, and like the crazy thing was the rope, it wasn't untied from my neck until that moment. When I went to the top, I'm thinking it broke or broke off. It's still tied to the, the fence. So I'm like, look, you know what I mean? I'm looking at the length. It's, it's double the length of the fall and everything. It's still tied to both ends. How did this? But, I mean, I was wrecked. I mean, I sat and just was just crying, just sitting in the bathtub. It was the middle of winter, so I'm, like, sitting there freezing. And at that point, that was a shift because I knew there was a God at that point. Wow. Like, there was nothing that could explain it to me. And I was like, wow, like something is really out there some cares about me because it's something saved me like i so i knew that at that point but there was it was a matter of all right what then you know what right. i mean it's like okay there's a god but what god who what you know what kind of god um and so you know it didn't stop i just kept going down that path and so basically that was my life was just going deeper and deeper into addiction that was you know around i was around 18 19 then 19 or so and so that path continued until I was about 22 or 23. 
I was like, um, I need to change my life. So I went to massage therapy school. So I'm like, I got to take care of this kid. So I'm going to school. I'm still, you know, strung out on all this stuff, still depressed, all these things. And somehow I get through school. I don't know. You know, I have no idea how, but I get through school. I think the teacher just felt bad for me to be honest. But so I get I get through school and it's crazy the third day uh, before graduation, like everything was done. I was just waiting for, you know, to get the certificate. The third day before I was talking to this girl, she calls me for drugs and I end up giving her some. She overdoses. I call the ambulance. They come and like she, you know, they revive her. But she tells on me. So I get hit with the distribution. And if you're um, on massage therapy, you got to be a part of the nursing board, you know, and you got to be on the CNA board. So it was like right there. And then that all just blew up in my face. And so I was I was distraught because I'm like, man, people tell you, like, work hard, you know, pay off here. I like I've tried so hard at this thing and it, it all fell apart. And I ended up getting locked up for 18 months. And at that point, it was like, you know, I'm older. I have this kid. I was like, I'm done, like I'm changing my life. And so, you know, this is this is probably the first real powerful seed, I think, that was planted in my life was I go to jail and I see this guy that I know from the street. And he had been gone for five years. He got a 13 year sentence. But when I see him, he's completely different. You know what I mean? Like he's not the same. He's telling me about Jesus. And I'm like, you know, you know, like, all right, you know, but he's really like believing in this stuff. He's he's doing a Bible study, all this stuff. And I'm like, wow, it's crazy. I remember one night he was preaching at me. We were cooking food by the microwave and I snapped on him. You know, probably, I guess I probably manifested or something. But I'm like, bro, I'm tired of hearing about this Jesus, bro. Like, leave me alone, dude. Like, you know what I mean? I don't know what your deal is. Like, go away. And uh, I get shipped off to another jail. And I don't even know what happened or why, but for whatever reason, at some one of those points, I just started thinking about Jesus like he was my God. Like, I just, you know what I mean? Like, I just mm. would talk about God and be like, yeah, Jesus. And so when I got out of jail, I was like, all right, we're going to do things different this time, Josh. Like, this is, we're, you know, we're in change. And so uh, I started going to church. And that was like, it was real change because... It was just, it was like this one day a week I could be somebody else. You know what I mean? It's like Monday through Saturday, like you're, you know, this drug addict trying to clean up his life. But Sunday, like you can be, like you can go to this church, no one knows you and just like be like a normal person. That's how it felt. And so mm-hmm. I would go. I never experienced like an encounter with God when I would go. But I would think, I would say that like days that I, I went, I'd feel more peaceful. And so I did that for a while. And then, you know, somewhere along the lines, I I kind of fell back from doing it. But what happened, though, I remember they called me up to the altar. They're like, you know, they did altar call and I didn't go. And then the pastor was like, come here, you know, so I I went up and, you know, I did the, the center prayer, but nothing changed. It was like nothing came from it that I could tell, you know, it was like, all right, cool. And went on with my life. But what I will say is that. I started feeling guilty about things that I didn't used to feel guilty about. Like there was certain like drugs that I never felt like was a drug that I was doing in in the name of like staying clean, you know, off mm-hmm. of harder drugs that I started feeling bad, bad about those. So that was one thing looking back that I could see. But here's a, this is where really everything, that's kind of the backstory, Lena. But this is really where God, I think, put his, his sights on me. Um, I mean, obviously he's there from, you know, our mother's womb, but this is when 
God started pursuing me, and I and I was telling you, you know, you on the phone, and, and I always tell people this. Either it was it was two things. Either it was God ridding me of everything and bringing me to a place of surrender, or it was uh, the devil trying to take me out before I met God. Because at this point, everything just kind of hit the fan, and it was just it was too ridiculous to like like you can't make this stuff up. And so I'm going. To, I stopped going to church, and I'm trying to get my life back together. Like I'm doing well in in my perspective at the time. Like I'm holding jobs and trying to like do all right, you know? So I get my I get my license back after like five years or something. And the fourth day of my license, I, I hit a fire truck and get a DUI. So, I'm, so I, that happens. A week after that, I get a new car. Or not, not a week, sorry, like three weeks later, I get a, another car. My dad's taking me to Woodbridge to come get this car, and, he, and he's telling me I don't have a, feel, a good feeling about this. And even in my gut, I knew something wasn't right, but I, I do it anyways. And so I take the tags off his car. I don't actually have a restricted license because now they, like, re-restricted it after my DUI. Yeah. I don't have registration. I just take the tags, put it on the car, and I'm driving 20 minutes later. Didn't even make it home because I'm thinking, of course I'll have time to at least make it home to get all this stuff legalized. 20 minutes later, I'm driving, I'm at the intersection, and I'm about to pull out, and I was like, oh, let me go straight. And I look three times. Like, I'm, I'm looking over, my, and, like, there's nobody there at all, and it's three open lanes, and I start to pull out. As soon as I pull out, I'm, like, you know, diagonal, like, halfway in the lane. This car comes flying over the hill, and as a 55, he was doing at least 60, like, he was flying, and it was it was slow motion. As soon as I pulled out, I just seen him getting closer and closer. And I said, I was just like, oof, this is this is he's going fast. And it was just like, boom. And he carried me all the way into the intersection. And then somehow my car ended back up straight. And I was like, I'm just gonna keep driving. You know what I mean? Because I'm like, I just got in trouble. You know, I was like, I'm done after this. I'm on bond right now. I have eight years over my head from the other stuff. So I'm like, I'm, I'm just going to keep driving. I'm looking at my car. Somehow it's still going, too. And I look, and my right door is in my, like, driver's seat. Jeez. And I'm, like, thinking, I'm like, oh, the titles in the glove box are going to know it's me. So I was like, man, just let me pull over. So I pull over. And the dude at work, you know, luckily, thank God, everybody's good. And um, But I get arrested. Mm-hmm. They arrest me for not having the license, you know, and then they say it was my fault. And... So I'm back in the cop car and like my dad was right behind me. So he comes, my mom ends up being in the area. He, you know, she comes. So I, I get out, they, my mom like felt bad, I think. She knew I was trying, so she, she bonded me out. And within a week after that, I lost my job. I was renting out a basement and I was homeless. You know, so it was like everything just, God took everything. Mm. So at this point, I don't have any friends, I don't have no, I have nothing, absolutely nothing. I didn't have custody of my daughter. I, I mean, it was just, everything was gone. And so I was just, you know, sleeping sleeping in the woods. I had I was at one of the, you know, homeless camps in Manassas. And and so I, uh, I got a job at TGI Fridays and I was just sleeping in the woods behind Fridays. And so that's what I did for a while. Mind you, this whole time I'm crying out to Jesus. Like, and this is for anybody watching that, like, you feel like you're crying to Jesus and he doesn't hear. Like, I'm crying out to Jesus with all my heart. I'm on my way to get drugs. Like, please stop me. Please, like, like help me help. Like, my heart for a whole year was burning for Jesus to save me. I just couldn't do Like, I couldn't stop. So, so th- you know, I'm doing that. And um, 
nothing was happening. And so one night I I went to uh, Erie, Pennsylvania. While I'm home, my dad's like, hey, you want to come see your uncles and your grandma? My grandma was sick at the time. I'm laying down in the bed. I'll never forget, I'm watching American Pickers. My uncle, we were sharing a bed, so he's laying next to me. And I'm like falling asleep and I start going into sleep paralysis. I'm like trying to fight it. Like I feel like something's going into my body. And at the same time, the TV, the voice, the guys are talking. All of a sudden their voices change to demonic voices and they start talking about me. Mm. And the one guy, one, so they're both demonic voices. The one demon says to the other one, he says, his name is Josh. He's from Virginia. We have to destroy him. And I'm hearing this like, this is not happening right now, but I know it's happening. And I'm fighting. I still feel like something's trying to get in my body. I'm in sleep paralysis, though. And next thing I know, I'm like off the bed, hearing myself screaming, wake up the whole house. My dad comes down. My grandma's like, what's going on? And I'm like, nothing, nothing. I don't know. You know, and I lay back down. But then all of a sudden I start, something's telling me to kill my uncle. Mm. And I'm laying there like, what? Like something is really telling me this right now, but I, I, at the same time, I'm telling myself, no, I don't need to do this. Uh, I don't want to do this. I'm talking myself out doing it. I find myself getting up and doing it, like going to do it. And someone's telling me, just crush his head, like just, just squeeze, you know? And so I stand up and I'm standing over my uncle and he's sleeping and I'm like trying to fight it, but I'm doing it. And so... I'm like going towards his head and then he wakes up and he's like, and he looks up and sees me. He freaks out and he's like, what the heck is, what are you doing? Like, and he goes and sleeps like on another couch and I end up falling asleep. So that happens. I come back home. I'm back in the, you know, my homeless situation. And uh, a week later I go and I'm, these guys at the camp would smoke this stuff K2 and I thought it was a joke. Like I was like, there's no, cause they would lose their minds off this stuff. And I'm like, there's no way this, this stuff does that. And so they're like, just take one hit. And I took a couple hits, like two or three. And then next thing I know, I feel myself like overdosing. Mm. And I hear them say he's going out. And when I fall out, like the last thing I remember was just falling out and crawling towards my tent. And then it was just, I was gone. And next thing I knew, I'm in a hallway. And in the hallway, there was demons on my left side and demons on my right side. They all had these like weird little robes and they were like short-ish and just ugly. Like what you would see in a movie, like these hideous, like laughing. They thought it was like, they were all laughing. Like there was some inside joke I was unaware of. It was just, it was, it was weird, but it, I wasn't really scared. I was just so confused. Like, where am I? And I'm following one. And as I'm following it, we're walking up to this big door. And I'm just walking towards the door like, what is going on? Where am I? And then it says to me, the one in front of me had its hood up and it said, one more step, you're almost there. And when it says that, it turns around and has this big smile and I, it all clicked like what, what, what was going on. I said, oh, hell no. And I, and I turned around. And when I turned around, I woke up and back up on my tent and I was just like soaking wet and sweat. And so at this point, I'm like, I was like, that was almost it. Like, I was about to go to hell, I think, you know, and, and it scared me because at this point I had faith in Jesus. Like, I believed him, but he just wasn't showing up for me. So I kind of felt like well, there's nothing I can do about it, you know. Mm. Fast forward like another week and I'm at work one night and this lady comes up to me and she says, hey, uh, God says you need to see him. 
And I'm like, yeah, no, he needs to see me. You know, like, how do we get in contact? <laughs> you know what I mean? So, like, the, the next day or two or something, I go to this AA meeting. And uh, I'm sitting in the meeting. I'm like, something just pulled me to go to the chapel of the church. And so I go and I stand in the altar and I say, hey, here I am, God. Like, here I came to see you. Like, what's mm -hmm. going on? And, you know, nothing really happens. So I, but I sit down and I just open a Bible, Russian roulette it, and I just read the page. And that's it. Go home. Or back to my tent. And uh, a week later, I do the exact same thing, the exact same place, the exact same way. I do, and I read, and while I'm reading, I get halfway through. I'm like, I've read this before. Well, it's the exact same thing I read the, the, the week before, it was Psalm 18. And so that really, like, hit me where I was like, that's crazy. Like, there, I can't explain this. It's, you know what I mean? So at this time, it's like, I feel like my life is coming to an end. There was just like this feeling of like, this can't go on anymore. It just can't. Like, something's got to give. Either I'm going to die or something's going to change. And I was dating this girl at the time who was like really trying. Her mom would always talk to me about God and was, you know, be supportive of me or try to be. And um, she was trying to get me to go to a rehab. And, and so I'm like, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. And so there was this one night where I was like, I'm going to go the next day. And so what I did is I got some dope and I hadn't done that um, for like three months. And so I get it and I'm like, this is my last time. And so when I get it, I'm like, the amount that I had was, it was too much to do all at once, but it wasn't enough to do twice, if that, you know what I mean? And I just, I was, it reminded me of where I was in 2012, where I just didn't care. Like, I was just like, you know what? I don't even care if, if I die, then I die. and. And so what I did, man, is I, I put it all in there and I had this moment with God that was so sincere and everything got quiet. And I said, Jesus, I don't know what you want from me. I said, this is all I know. I'm looking at these drugs. I'm like, this is all I know. Mm. Like, what do you expect from me? Like, I've called on your name. I've done all the things. This is all I know. And so I started loading up the needle. And while I was putting it on my arm and everything, I said the, uh, the Lord's Prayer. I said, Our Father who art in heaven, and while I'm doing it. And at the end, I said, forgive me. And I, I d just did it because, like, I knew I'm going to overdose. And uh, as soon as I did it, my, I guess my body went into fight mode where it was like, you're going to overdose. And I said, get up and run. And so I, got, I jumped straight up and went to run out the door. And next thing I know, I'm in the ambulance. And so I'm waking up in the ambulance like, oh, no, like, because I have these charges. I'm out on two bonds. I have eight years on my head. Like, and they're like, all right, you're revived. Like, do you want to go to the hospital? I said, no, get me out of here. And when I went to leave, the cop was like, all right, now you can come to jail. Mm. And so I'm like, man. And I was, you know, I was so frustrated with the cop because I'm like, dude, like, look what just happened, man. Like, I don't need this right now. You know, like, you're going to ruin my life. And uh, he saved it, I guess. And he, he played a part in saving it. But uh he, he takes me to jail and, he, you know, he, I said something to the cop, like, you should just let me die. Like, why'd you revive me, man? Like, and he said, oh, you're suicidal. So he said, he's like, we're going to put you on suicide watch. So they put me in the suicide watch, which it just makes the jail experience 50 times worse because they take, you don't have blankets. You don't get the food that anyone else will get. You can't have like, um, they put your juice and milk in a, a bag. You can't have that because you might try to swallow. Like they just, they take everything from you and they put this big oven mitt. It's like the oven mitt material over you. So anyways, I'm in the this, this cell, I'm going through withdrawals 
and I think my life's over. I get one phone call, my mom's bawling her eyes out saying, you almost died again. This was like my sixth overdose, you know, and she's just like, you almost died again, are you happy? And that was the, the call I got, you know, that, that and um, everything hit me. It was like my whole life hit me, like You've, you really ruined your life. Like you, you made a complete mess of your life. And um, it was real sobering because there was no more like fight in me. Like I was just like, it's done, you're done. And, and you know, I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be lucky if I do three years in prison, you know what I mean? Like that would be a blessing. And you know, you're, you're not a good dad, your daughter, you're not there for your daughter. Like all that stuff's hitting me. And so for five days, I was just crying out to Jesus. Like, bro, the only prayer I knew was a sinner prayer from me, you know, being baptized. And that's what I did. For five days, that's all I said. And it was like every time I said it, I'd feel like this 2% increase of like hope or something. I don't, you know what I mean? And it was like this mantra or something. And I was like obsessively saying it over and over and over and over. But I remember I said, God, if, if you get me out of this, I, I said, I just want to be a good boy. Like, that's it. Like, I just want to be a good boy. <laughs> and so I go to the, the pod. I'm sitting there and I'm like, I can't do this again. There, And I heard there was a Christian program. So I go to the, I sign up to go and everyone's telling me not to go. I'm like, I don't care, man. Like, I need to change. So I go to the program and Within the first week, I was about to leave because they would wake you up early. There was all these like rules and they would stay up at night like and they would like before bedtime, everyone would pray and read Bible. And I'm like, this place is crazy. You know, like I was like, this is a cult, you know, like I just wanted some God, but I don't want this. And so I was about to leave, actually. And one of my friends that I knew there was like, man, just give it some time. You know, trust me. And then all of a sudden I hear this voice one day say, why don't you just try? And it wasn't me. Some said, why don't you just try? And I said, all right, you know what? I'm, I'm going to try. What do I have to lose? So the funny thing is, like, right after that, uh, they had this time of day where everyone had to be on their bunks, but you couldn't sleep. So it was like you had to read your Bible or do something. And I was like, and the kid was this guy, my bunkie was like, you want a Bible? And I was like, sure. So he went and got me a Bible. And so I opened it up. What do you think I opened to? Psalm 18. Mm -hmm. Same thing I had read in the, the thing. So now I'm kind of hooked, like this is this is too crazy. So basically what happened is over the next week or two, I started listening when speakers would come in, I'd read my Bible, I was like genuinely trying. And then all of a sudden one day, there was no moment. I didn't feel God's presence. I didn't, nothing happened. I just looked up one day and I wasn't the same. Like. I'd be in conversations with people talking about women or drugs, and I would feel like this, like, ugh, like turn for, like, and I would be like, yeah, all right, y'all have fun with this. And I'd go to my bunk and read my Bible. And, and I found that, like, the more I did, every time I would call on Jesus, I would feel joy. Like, I'd feel his presence. And it would just kept growing and growing. And at this time, I'm like, I don't even care if I'm doing time, whatever, because now I had found Jesus. Like I'm so intrigued and like consumed with with Jesus, and like this is a good. Uh, I can't think of the word right now, but this is a, a good gives a good idea illustration of like 
the difference. When I got there, I wanted to leave because they would read the Bible and stuff. Like by the time I left the program, I was literally walking around all day trying to pray for everyone. Like, mm. you know what I mean? People were getting annoyed with me. They're like, dude, we're Jesus out today. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, you know what I mean? Like, so, so like that's, that's like shows like how serious this transition was. Like there would be break time and I'd, and me and this other guy would be in the, the, um, the room where they could go to play sports or whatever. And we would just be worshiping. And like, you know what I mean? We'd look up, we'd be in our own worlds and we'd look up and it's like all other inmates from other pods are like looking at, like we're, you know, we're in there, one dude's crying, I'm laughing. like. And so I remember being like, God, you know, I, I don't, you don't owe me anything. Like this, I did this to myself, thanks for saving me. And I told him, I said, but if you do get me out of here, I said, I'm going to lay hands on every person I see and I'm going to preach the gospel. That's like, I, I was like, I, I owe you everything. Like two days, or my lawyer come in and said, man, just get time served. You're, you sit and get comfortable. You're going to be here. Like a week after that, this is right before Christmas, he comes in. He's like, I got your ticket out of here. Uh, I got a bed to bed transfer. It was everything I prayed for. It was a Christian halfway house. Just like, you know, it was everything I prayed for. And then, you know, with the bond, they were fighting it. And, um, it was funny because I was like, you know, it's just it's just funny, like thinking back on how much joy and peace I had during this time because I'm still going through withdrawals. The situation's terrible. And my mom's like, they're not going to give you the bond. You know, it was just like one thing after another. And I remember feeling like God's just testing my character to see how I'm going to react. And I said, you know, praise God. If I don't get out, I don't get out. But um, so I ended up getting the bond, you know, like two days after Christmas. And uh, I go to a halfway house in Maryland I remember knowing, Josh, if you don't cling to Jesus with everything you have, like you're you're done. Like you know what I mean? Like this is not you're not gonna last out here. And so, after that, man, I I, I clung to Jesus with everything I had. You know what I mean? I did what I told him. I, you know what I mean? I immediately started evangelizing everywhere I was at. I just I I let myself be more and more consumed with it, and um. And God just kept becoming more and more real, mm. and I just, and so by the time it came around to court, you know, I'm a, I I transfer back to Virginia, go to a halfway house there. It had been a year since the court, you know, on bond, and I remember even my lawyer was like, "You're gonna have to lie about some things." He didn't say that, but he was trying to get me to word things certain ways and all this stuff to get out of it because I actually got kicked out of the halfway house. It was a six month program, the one in Maryland. Six months long, five months into it, the lady kicked me out because I was uh, late coming home one night. Like, I was there, but I was in the driveway and not inside. And it was crazy because even, not even to play victim, it was like all the other guys would be like, bro, what is her deal? Like, she always was trying to, like, always had an issue with me, you know? But anyway, so she kicked me out, and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Like, do you know that, like, a lot of stuff is riding on this? And I remember God told me, like, don't, like, I'm with you. I got you. Mm. And, you know what I mean? And so when we went to court, my lawyer's like, Dude, that wasn't a good situation. This is, and I said, look, I said I'm not going there lying. I said I know God got me. We're going in there. And I'm gonna tell, I'm gonna say exactly how everything happened, mm. and that's what I did. And the judge told me he's like, man, your probation officer wrote a really good said like you're doing spectacular. He said you've been out for a year. There's no relapses. You're doing everything you're supposed to. I don't see the point of locking you back up. So everything he he dropped it to a misdemeanor and dropped you know gave me probation. So, I mean, that's, I guess, in a nutshell, my testimony. You know, God changed everything from that, that time in jail. And um, how, how old were you when, when that happened with the judge? 
This was so. This was twenty. I was twenty five. Twenty six. I'm twenty nine. So this was. I was twenty six when that with the judge. Mm, so it's four years ago. How did you uh, your relationship with your daughter and your your family um, develop after after you coming out of jail? So when I got out of jail, the my daughter was living with her grandfather on the mom's side. The mom had lost custody, so the grandfather had custody, and so I'm thinking this is good. So I started get, seeing her every weekend or most weekends. And as and uh, once I got on my own out of the halfway houses and stuff, I said, all right, it's time for me to get custody. And so I was seeing her all the time and it was getting really good. And then I went to get, you know, told the grandpa I want custody and he started fighting me mm. and started keeping her from me. And so I went through like a six month period of him not allowing me to see my daughter and getting, feeling some type of way, you know, and, um, and I ended up taking him to court, and I ended up getting custody. You want to know what's really crazy? I, I was praying about it because it was there was times I was real emotional about it because obviously my faith now I have a different worldview. Right. You know her atmospheres that she's in. I'm concerned about stuff like that. So I'm oh like God, like this, like I, I was really like in, in in some emotional places at times in prayer about it. I remember when I was taking when we were waiting for court and stuff. I had a vision of the guy reacting a certain way, doing something, and basically just throwing up his hands and quitting before we went to court. Mm. And man, that the exact that's exactly what happened. By the time it got to court while we were waiting in the room, that's he he stood up and threw up his hands and was like, I don't care, just you know what I mean, and gave up. And so I got custody of, of my daughter uh a year and a half ago. And wow. so now she lives with me and yeah. How is that? Can you just talk about that relationship now on the other side it's it's good man it's 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 powerful because i remember when when i came home my daughter wrote me a birthday note and my daughter's very wise because of how she grew up um and me how, how me and her mom were she was real independent because we were you know we weren't very responsible you know and so she she learned how to do things younger and was very just independent and so she was. She's always been like wise for her years, I guess. And she had wrote me a letter for my birthday. I think the first year I was home, she said, "It's like you were dead, and now you have a new life." That's that. That's what she said. It's like you were dead, and now you have a new life. And so she's. I mean, she saw a transformation. But you know, when she first came to live with us, uh, my wife and I, it was, it was a challenge because. There was so when you're with a kid only on the weekends, you only see so much. You know what I mean? Like you're not there for the homework, for the school, right. that stuff. But when I started having her for shower bedtime, all the like the intricate responsibilities of a parent. And how old was she by the time that she? So with when you? I got custody, she was eight. Okay. Eight and a half, somewhere in eight. Uh, so yeah, so whenever I got her. It was it was it was rough because there was all these habits that she had that weren't dealt with, and like just simple things like going to bed, take a shower, and so I remember the first three months like there was like she was having rage attacks like every night, mm. and man I put her in my in my prayer room and every night I would just I would just worship I wouldn't even pray for her I would just put my hand on her and just worship God for like a, like until she was asleep and I would and then I would just forget she was there and I would just do my thing. And after a couple months, everything started stopping. Like it, it was, it was real supernatural watching because it was like all this stuff came that she had, all these emotions 
And I remember like being overwhelmed and I just kept taking it to God, praying over her. And then it got to the point where she didn't want to sleep in her room. She wanted to sleep in my prayer room. Mm. And then she would be like, can, can you, you know, sing for me? You know what I mean? Like it started becoming our thing. And then I started noticing all those things that started leaving like one after another. And then we finally hit this place of like, you know, peace in, in regards to those things, you know? Wow. Really quick. How did you, uh, you, you said you were with your wife, so you got married? Yeah. Yeah. So you want to know the funny thing is that the, the, when I said I got out and went to church, the girl I went to church with was, was my wife. You know what I mean? She would pick me up and take me to church. And, um, she friend zoned me hardcore for like years and basically told me I like I have nothing for you ever but friendship. Um and then but then once I once I got, you know, saved, I was in this church in Maryland at the halfway house. I I was getting baptized. And so I guess I had felt like she was part of, of my journey. You know what I mean? And it was like I also I wanted I wanted to like her to be proud, you know what I mean? It's like see like look, I get it. You know what I mean? Like I get it now. And um so I invited her to my baptism. And she came and um, and we hung out that day and it was just kind of like everything was different, mm. you know what I mean? Like, like I, she wasn't looking at me like this this drug addict that needs Jesus kind of thing. We were mm. looking at each other, as, you know, you know, different equals, I guess. Um, and so yeah, we we started hanging out and that's you know you know how it goes, you know. And that's... How long have you guys been married now? Three years almost. April will be three years. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Josh, what can you say looking back at your 28? 29. 29? At your 29 years of life, uh, what can you say Jesus has done for you? <laughs> Jesus literally creates life out of nothing. So Jesus upheld me through the darkest times of my life when I didn't even flinch about the idea of him. When I didn't even have zero concern about who he was, what he thought, who I was, what like just completely ignorant, just walking blind, he kept me. He redeemed everything about me. You know what I mean? He redeemed everything in my heart. He he softened my heart. Like uh, he transformed me. He 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 gave me life when I didn't have life. You know, that's. And now he upholds my life, you know? And when I've failed, when I've fallen, when I've made mistakes, even after coming to him, he's he's kept me. For for anybody who's watching, who has gone through similar things that you have gone through, whether they've been homeless or they've had severe drug addictions, maybe even going through some drug addictions right now as they're watching you, what can you say to that person watching right now? I'd say that as long as you have breath in your lungs right now, there's hope. Like there is a plan and a purpose for you. It says in the Bible that the blood is always speaking better things. And so as long as you're breathing, the blood of Jesus Christ is speaking something better over your life. And so I would say that cry out to Jesus with, with all your heart, not to be saved, but to know him, not to just escape a situation but to be brought into a new kingdom and into a new life. You know, for so many years, I look back now and I realized that year that I was crying out for Jesus' help, it was the mercy of God that kept him from saving me. 
because he knew that I just wanted to, uh, to get out of whatever situation I was in. And so I would say that if you're at a place where you're just done, Jesus is, is the only hope. Jesus is the only way. And Jesus isn't mad at you. That's the other thing I'll say. He's not uh, upset, but he's willing, and he it's it's a joy for him to redeem you. Joshua, any last words for anybody watching right now? I would say that life is really short. I have probably over over fifty friends I know that have have overdosed, been killed, killed themselves. I mean, just we really have no idea when our moment is at all and so if i would say anything to anybody it's that right now today is a day of salvation right now is a moment that this could all change it could be redeemed restored anything no matter where you're at in your walk if you're in faith if you're agnostic atheist um life is people take it for granted and nothing that you're building here really matters i just saw a video the other day of little wayne we all know who Little Wayne is, and he, it'll clip. And he, and he was saying, yeah, I get home sometimes. I wonder, does any of this really matter? Like, does, are they going to remember me? Does this, is this all going to matter? And I'm sitting there watching. I'm not to be rude, but I said, no, it doesn't. Like, it really, actually, it doesn't. You know what I mean? Because we're not, these, these aren't, what we build here aren't eternal moments unless we're building it with Jesus and for the kingdom. And so that's, that's what I would say. Don't. You know, don't get uh, wrapped up in, in the world that you're living in. Get wrapped up in him, you know?